Welcome to the first service of Stillwater's Church. We have transitioned from Avalon Church to Stillwater's Church, and this is our very first service. Even though we're not technically meeting in person, this is only online over the July 4th weekend, but this is our first time together as Stillwater's Church. There's so many people that are excited about this. I'm excited about what God has in store for our church, and I know you are as well. Now, I hope you're enjoying yourself. This is a holiday weekend. I know many of you are taking vacation, but thank you for stopping by, taking time even out of your vacation schedule um, to be a part of the service here at Stillwater's Church. We're so glad that you're a part, and we're so thankful that you decided to join us today. Now, before I get started in the message today, let me just say this. We are very thankful for every one of you that has been faithful to give. Oftentimes during the summer, people, they'll take time off, obviously, they'll travel, they'll go on vacation, and um, often they'll miss a weekend service from time to time. But it's very important that people continue to be faithful to give, uh, even if they're not in town. So I would encourage you to set up your giving as recurring giving. Uh, you can also give by texting to give. You can do that by texting the number 84321. You put in the amount and uh, that will take care of it. That's a very easy option. You can give uh, online at stillwaters.online and then uh, of course you can mail it in. You can drop it by the church office. And for those of you that have downloaded the church app, that is a very convenient way to give. And we want to thank you for your faithfulness to give. Well, let's get started in the message. We've been talking about uh, stories from Jesus. And what we've been doing is we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew and taking stories, mostly parables. Today will not actually be a parable, but it's a story that Jesus was involved in that Matthew told about what Jesus did, actually. And a man that came to him and asked him a very important question. So we've been in this series, and today we're going to talk about the man... The story of the man who loved money. Now, this is not really going to be uh, what the title suggests. It's not really a story about money, but it's actually a story about a man that had misplaced priorities. And so I want to begin reading in Matthew chapter 19, and we'll begin in verse number 16. You can either take your Bible out and follow along, or you can follow along on the screen. And here's what it says. And behold, a man came up to him, this was, he came to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Now, this is a very important passage because it shows us some very important things about the gospel. In some translations, it reads this way, Good teacher, good teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? Now, this is kind of audacious of this guy. Jesus says, keep the commandments, all of them. And he's like, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
And the young man said to him, said to Jesus, all these things I've kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty shall a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. In our time together today, I want to show you three thoughts of how this man got his relationship with God wrong. He asked the wrong questions and he had the wrong viewpoint about life. And do you know that there are many of us that sometimes when it comes to life and sometimes when it comes to matters of eternal life, especially, we either ask the wrong questions or we have the wrong view. And so there are three mistakes that this man made in his viewpoint, in his worldview, in his outlook on life. And the first one is this. He had the wrong view of the Savior. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you'll see in the passage that we read, uh, he asked Jesus, he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that is the wrong view of who Jesus is. You see, Jesus is more than just simply a teacher. Now, don't misunderstand what was being said here. This man was not being disrespectful. I've heard some preachers interpret that this man was being disrespectful, but he really was not. In the Greek language, he used the word there for rabbi. It was a term of respect in that day. He was saying to him, rabbi or teacher or good teacher, uh, what must I do to have eternal life? And here's the problem. He had the view of Jesus as merely a good teacher, merely a rabbi. Uh, he said to him, you're good, uh, but you're not really the Lord. And so when you and I have the wrong view of God, we have the wrong view of the Savior, it gives us the wrong outlook on life. And we ask the wrong questions about life. You see, until we recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior, we've got the wrong view of him. There are many people that um, believe that Jesus existed but they don't necessarily believe that he was the unique son of God, the only begotten of the Father. I love what C.S. Lewis said, and I'm paraphrasing what he said. But he said, let's stop this nonsense of calling Jesus a good teacher, a moral man. He said he could not possibly have been that because he claimed that he was God. And so either he was a lunatic that had lost his mind claiming to be God. And you and I, if we saw somebody that claimed to be God today, we would say that person's crazy. So either he was a lunatic or he was a liar and a devil of hell because any man that claims to be God who is sane but is not God is not a good person. He cannot possibly be good. And so our view of God is essential. 
it's a very important view on life. Not only is Jesus being the Son of God, God in human form, being the Savior, but also being the loving God, the loving Savior that He is. Let me ask you this question. What is your view of God? Do you see God? Do you see Jesus as the big guy in the sky with the big stick waiting to hit you upside the head? Do you see him as the one that is very angry, waiting to zap people with lightning every chance he gets? Well, it's true that Jesus and that God the Father are righteous. They are holy. And does God have anger? Absolutely. He, you cannot have love without having anger. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the fact is, um, if God is a loving God, and He is all loving, then He has to be angry at sin. He has to be angry at the things that harm us, because He loves us. Think of it this way. If you're married, or if you have children, if someone tried to harm your wife, or your husband, or your children, if they tried to harm someone that you love, it would prove that you did not love them if you had no anger about someone mistreating your loved ones. In fact, if you thought so little of them that you didn't care to get judgment against the person that harmed them, or you didn't care uh, to get the right thing uh, to happen to them, then it would prove that you do not love them very much. But the more you love them, the more righteous anger you have. So it's true that God does have righteous anger, but he's only angry with sin, and he's only angry because of the things that harm us. And so this man had the wrong view of God. He had the wrong view of the Savior. He thought that Jesus was just a good teacher. He thought that Jesus was not really the Son of God. But even those that do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he's the Savior, that he rose from the grave, the question becomes, what is your view of him? Do you see God as a righteous, loving father? Do you see him as one that always makes the right choice, that always chooses well for us? Or do you see him as angry, aloof, not interested in your life? You see, it's easy to get that way because the fact is you and I can become hurt by the things that happen in this world. We can look at all the things going on around us and wonder, is God really loving? Is he really all-powerful? Because if he was really loving, would he allow these things to happen? If he was really all-powerful, could he not stop these things? And so your view of the Savior is incredibly important. And until you view him not only as the Son of God, not only as the only way of salvation, but also as a loving God, someone that has our best interests in mind, someone that has a plan for our life. Until you begin to view him that way, you're always going to trip up. You're always going to have difficulty um, with, with life, with the problems that come your way, because life happens. And so this man had the wrong view of the Savior. Here's the second wrong view that he had. He had a wrong view of self. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things in this passage. First of all, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He had a view of himself that was overinflated. Now, when Jesus said to him, 
He said, what you've got to do, if you want to be perfect, he said, what you've got to do is keep all the commandments. Now, was Jesus suggesting that the way to be saved, the way to come to the Father, uh, the way to be made right with God was by keeping the commandments? No, not at all. That was not what he was saying. He was trying to point out to this man that he could not approach God in that way. He could not possibly please God or come into a loving relationship with the Father based on his good works, based on just keeping the commandments. Now, he said to Jesus, he said, I've kept all of these. But if you'll notice, Jesus did not quote the 10th commandment, which is you shall not covet. And Jesus knew that this man had a covetous spirit. He loved money. He loved his things. He loved his comfort. He loved everything that his power and his wealth brought to him. He loved those things more than God. He was a very self-righteous person. Have you ever noticed that we often have a wrong view of self? You'll either have one of two views. You'll either overinflate your importance and your goodness, which we're really good at that. We give ourselves a break all the time, don't we? We think other people, they, do, they may deserve judgment, but not me. I'm a good person. Uh, they, they may deserve, uh, you know, what they get, but not me. I am a good person. I deserve God's love. Well, that's why it's called grace. You don't get it because you deserve it. It is completely unearned. It's unmerited. It's undeserved. But God gives it anyway. You say, well, why would I be undeserving of the love of God? Well, because of our sin. But thank God that he loves us anyway. And so this man had a wrong view of self. He gave himself a break. He said, you know, I am really, really good. And what you and I tend to do is we tend to put in the background and forget the evil that we've done, the sins that we've committed, the way we've harmed our relationship with God, the, the laws that we've broken that are against God, and we tend to focus on the good things that we do. Now, understand what the Bible says. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. It says all have fallen short of the glory of God, of God's divine standard. Now, does that mean that we are not made in the image of God? No. Does that mean that human beings don't have worth? No, that's not what it means. In fact, you're, so, you're worth so much that God gave the ultimate price, his son, Jesus Christ, to purchase you and redeem you back to himself. Um, is a person that's not a Christian capable of doing good things? Well, of course they are. Uh, we see people all the time that are not saved, that they'll give to a hurricane relief fund to help victims of, of a hurricane or a tsunami or a fire or helping in some way with soldiers that are coming back. Of course, people are capable of good things, but when the Bible says that none is good, that we all fall short of God's standard, what it means is that in our own ability, in our own righteousness, we fall short. We're imperfect. And no matter how good you may be, no matter how many good things you may do, if the standard is perfection, that's God's standard, that we fall short of, and you sin even once, you just make one mistake, you just make one sin, then that means you fall short of perfection. And so in our own ability, our righteousness is not enough. It's not good enough. He had a wrong view of himself because he saw that he was, or he thought that he was this really good, righteous, moral person. Have you ever heard somebody say, 
Well, I believe I, I don't deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to heaven. Well, that is the wrong view of self because we must understand that the gospel shows us that we're incapable of coming into right relationship with God apart from his grace and his mercy and the finished work on Jesus Christ. The other wrong view of self that we have is this. We look at ourselves as completely unworthy. Well, can I be a little bit of a bearer of bad news? Of course you're unworthy. I'm unworthy, you're unworthy, but that's why God gives us his mercy. He doesn't give us what we do deserve, which is punishment, and he does give us what we don't deserve, is his grace, his favor, his love, his kindness. And so maybe you're like this man, you've got a wrong view of self. Either you think, hey, I'm so good that God's gonna reward me. You get in this merit system with God thinking that he owes you because you've gone to church or you've given some money that God owes you, or you get this deflated view of self that you just aren't worth anything, that there's nothing that you could ever do to overcome, that there's nothing good that you could ever do. When the Bible says that once you put your faith in Christ and become a follower of Jesus, you're changed. You're no longer an enemy of God. You're no longer uh, separated from him. You are no longer under his wrath, but the Bible says you're a son or a daughter of God. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You're more than a conqueror. You are loved. God is with you. His grace is with you. And so this man had a wrong view of self. He had a wrong view of the Savior. Do you see God as a loving father? Do you see Jesus as the son of God that died in our place? And apart from him, there is no way to be made right with God. Or do you see him just as a facilitator, a nice guy, a good teacher? Well, your view of God is essential and your view of self is also essential because if you overinflate your goodness and downplay the sin in your life, you're never gonna be where God wants you to be. Uh, if you think that there's no hope for you, that there's no way that you can overcome, that there's no way that you can ever stop this particular sin, then you also have the wrong view of self. And then finally, here's the last thing. This man had the wrong view of salvation. So he saw the Savior, Jesus, as something than he, other than he was. He saw himself as something better than he was or less than what he was. And then he saw salvation through a lens that so many people see the way to God. And he, he thought that he could do it by keeping the commandments. He thought he could do this by being a good person. He said, I've kept all these commandments from my youth. Now, let's be honest. Really? You mean honestly? It, it, one of the things that Jesus mentioned was honoring your parents. Really? You think that this guy went his entire life and never disrespected his parents, even under his breath? They told him to go clean his room and he always had joy and the right attitude. You know, you've always heard the definition of obedience is doing what you're told when you're told with a right heart attitude. And I can remember as a kid, sometimes I would be told what I was to do and I would do it, but I had a bad attitude about it. Well, look, of course this guy didn't keep the commandments to perfection all of his life, but he thought he did. So he had the wrong view of salvation. He thought that his own goodness was what was going to save him. But Jesus pointed out that he broke the commandment of covetousness. 
because he, he wanted all the blessings of wealth. He wanted all the things that his position, his rank gave him. And he thought that that was what made him valuable. And it's not. Your self-worth is never tied to your net worth. And so um, he saw salvation in a wrong way. And what he did, Jesus clarified it. So what was he saying about salvation? He said that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich pet person to go to heaven. Did he mean that um, it was impossible for rich people to get saved? No, that was not the point he was making at all. He was saying that with man, it is impossible. When you trust yourself rather than him, when you trust your works rather than his grace, when you trust in the good deeds that you do rather than his finished work on the cross, he said it's impossible. Obviously, a camel cannot fit through the tiny eye of a needle. And in the same way, it is impossible for you to go to heaven, to be saved, to come into right relationship with God based purely and simply on your good works. He said with man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And the point is this that if you have the view of salvation that is that it's based on your works it's based on what you do it's based on how good you are if you think well before i start going to church again or before i start uh, getting right with god again i've got to turn over a new leaf i've got to stop doing these things you got the wrong view of salvation it really has nothing to do with that now does God change you when he saves you? Of course he does. But you don't have to turn over a new leaf to be saved. You don't have to stop doing anything to be saved. You must come to him in faith and let God do the changing. Let him do the growing. Let him be the one that works in your life. What Jesus was saying is this. We've got to view him as the savior. He's more than just a man. He was man, but he was 100% God as well. We've got to view the Heavenly Father as a loving Father that is just and righteous, and yet He poured out His wrath on Jesus for our sins. We've got to have the right view of self. You are very you're very worthy of God's love because He pours it out in His grace. You don't earn it. It's not that you have done anything to merit it, but rather He loves you. You've got to have the right view of self in that you don't think that the way that you get to God is through your own righteousness. And then you've got to have the right view of salvation. What happens is God loves you. Jesus died on the cross for you. He wants to transform your life. He wants to save you because he loves you. I hope today that you'll think about this on this holiday weekend. I hope that you'll think about uh, the love of God in your life. I hope you'll think about Jesus as savior I hope you'll view yourself as someone that has value because God loves you, uh, but someone who falls short of the glory of God, and therefore you can't depend on your own righteousness. And then you picture salvation as God's grace extended to us because of the work of Jesus Christ. God bless you. I love you. I hope you have a great, great weekend. And uh, we're gonna see you next Sunday at the church picnic. Hope you'll be there. Uh, let me have prayer and we'll, we'll be finished. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person watching this that you would help them to turn to you 
God, help us to think about the Savior, ourself, and salvation in the way that you want us to. For those that need Christ, help them to say yes to Jesus right now. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.